1: Hello, and welcome to the latest podcast from the Centre for European Reform. I'm Ian Bond, the Foreign Policy Director of the CER. We recorded some of this podcast just before it became official that the European Council had agreed with the Commission's recommendation that Ukraine and Moldova should be given candidate status, and some of it soon afterwards. And I was joined by some of the people who've played and who will indeed play pivotal roles in Ukraine's integration into the EU however long and difficult the process might turn out to be. So just before the decision was taken, I spoke to Natalia Forsyuk, the General Director of Ukraine's Governmental Office on European Integration and NATO, and Ivana Klimpushtsinsadze, the Chair of the Ukrainian Parliament's Committee on Integration into the EU. And after the, the candidate status was approved, I spoke to Katerina Maternova, the Deputy Director General in the European Commission's Directorate General for the European Neighbourhood and Enlargement Negotiations, and also the head of the Commission's support group for Ukraine. Given the awful situation in parts of Ukraine, thanks to the Russian invasion, I don't know whether this felt like a moment of celebration for my Ukrainian guests. Ukraine has paid such a high price for the progress it's made towards EU membership. But I think that the Ukrainians that I spoke to and the commission indeed, can congratulate themselves on what they've achieved. Uh, It's a remarkable step to get to this stage in the accession process so quickly, even if there's still a very long way to go. So uh, I started by asking Natalia about the work of her office uh, which faces the enormous challenge of implementing all of the EU acquis and starting that process in the middle of the war. And I, I wanted to know what were her first priorities now? And given the extraordinarily wide range of topics covered in the accession process, what was she going to do with the other ministries in Kiev to get them to focus on the things that they also needed to do to achieve eu membership while they were dealing with all the consequences of this extremely bloody war
3: thank you very much for this question indeed uh, we are going through very d- difficult times but i'm happy that internationally on the level of the european commission it is admitted that uh, institutionally we have shown our ability to perform even in such difficult uh days uh, and uh, stressful atmosphere uh which uh you know, everyone leaves from us. Our application was written uh, basically by different people sitting in the bomb shelters. It's really, it's not, you know, something that I'm saying just as a, a, a parallel illusion. It's a it's, it's reality and the questionnaire that we have filled for the European Commission to obtain its opinion Uh, was done in the same way. So 60 60 institutions, including all line ministers, were involved. But I would say that we are not starting to implement our key. It's important to say that our European choice was done back in 2014, where we had our revolution of dignity. This revolution uh, was caused uh, by the proposal of the president to change the course from European integration into more deep um, economic and political relationships with Russia, where uh, citizens did not accept it and it um, caused the revolution of dignity. So I, I, I say that you know, this association is agree- agreement was signed by blood of the people who were killed at the Maidan. And after that uh, we were showing consistent track record of implementing their key. So uh, when the war has started we already Implemented uh, 63% of our association agreement, which is very important. And therefore, we believe that we have uh, made a progress which allowed us to apply to become a candidate country, Uh, not because of war, uh, but despite it. And uh, for now, of course, we understand that uh, we will be extremely stretched with, with our administrative capacities and uh, that our institution should uh, be strengthened as at the level of the cabinet of ministries, but also on the, at the level of line ministries and parliament in order to implement a key because this goes even beyond uh, the association agreement. And we hope that together with the support group from Ukraine, from with the European Commission, we will find a solution where they uh, can really uh, give their shoulder uh, in building up this institutional capacity. So uh, supporting us uh, with expertise and other, other tools that are necessary To go further in alignment. As for priorities, priorities are very clear. We have already a recommendation of the uh, European Commission what we should tackle first, and this will be done as soon as possible. As you know, in December there will be a monitoring mission, so we will start from rule of law anti-corruption media and uh, minorities, as it is uh, proposed uh, in a very strict manner, by the way. uh, we will start from that, and then we will go chapter by chapter, covering all the rest. Mm.
1: Thank you. I mean, just to, to ask a, a supplementary question. I mean, in in normal circumstances, I suppose um, you would expect to get a lot of assin- assistance in the form of of twinning of you know officials coming from member states to sit in ministries or agencies to to advise. Um, and I presume that in conditions of war that isn't so straightforward. But are you able to get, um, you know, the kind of advice and consultancy, for want of a better word, from the, the existing member states uh, by other means to, you know, to help you with this administrative capacity that you were talking about?
3: Well, uh, um First of all, I would say that uh, we have uh, some uh, TA projects from uh, financed by European Union who are helping us. And we have already had uh, discussions that they should be scaled up and uh, um, uh, be in the pipeline so they can support us for a long time. But of course, they are not enough. As for the countries... We very closely uh, worked with the government of Lithuania, and we are very grateful to them who, mm, you know, have fresh memories of how they went through this process by themselves, and therefore uh, they were guiding us and helping us to formulate our messages in the manner uh, which uh, actually uh, can satisfy uh, the commission by presenting facts speak by themselves, but uh, knowing, knowing who is on the other side already and what additional questions may come. So this was very helpful. And also because of this, we, we were able to answer in a manner where we had no additional questions. That was very, very great help
1: yeah i mean i think it it is uh, very um, useful to be able to get that advice from countries that still remember you know what the process was for them and and uh, how they overcame the various hurdles so that's quite important I, I mean ivana if i can if i can turn to you um you may have a unique perspective because you were the the deputy prime minister for european and euro atlantic integration in the administration of President uh, Poroshenko, and now you're the chair of the RADA committee on Ukraine's EU integration. Um, So, I mean, bearing in mind those sort of double perspectives, I'm interested in how do you see the role of the the RADA in the accession process? And in particular, um, given that this is such a technical process, and in many respects, not easy for ordinary people to, to understand. What's the RADA's role in, um, in preserving the democratic aspects of this process of, of accession, of making sure that you carry the Ukrainian people along with you as the, as Ukraine moves towards membership?
0: Thank you so much, Yan. Uh, thank you for, um, initiating this conversation. I think uh, unprecedented times and unprecedented channel challenges uh, require unprecedented decisions and something that was uh, seen as not possible four months ago, um, hopefully is becoming a, a reality either today or tomorrow. Uh, and Ukraine will be granted the candidate status and will have to go through a serious um and challenging uh transformation in the next years in order to to be able to join the european union so definitely on this path uh it's important that we have strong institutions and it's important that we have um strong actors uh, like uh, civil society, strong independent media, that we would have strong parliament, strong opposition, strong uh, government, strong authorities, uh, in order for us to um, not only declare this goal, but definitely reach it and uh, you're right that uh, the process of adoption of the of the legislation that would be fully in line with the European uh, European Union is um, is a a very bulky and um, and uh, quite frequently very technical uh, process Uh, but uh, this process definitely requires high professionalism and for that matter we would need um, serious engagement and support and um, additional mechanisms and instruments being provided also by by our partners from the EU, including those member states that uh, have gone through this process uh, in order for us to be able to to gradually move on the the declared and uh, strategic path uh, for for the country. Uh, and that means that we need to, to strengthen our ability in the Rada to to work on those um, on those pieces of legislation that will have to be adopted and ensure our control and our oversight on the execute over the executive um, that they would uh, then continue on working with the uh, bylaws and ensuring that this legislation actually works and is. Um, is capably helping Ukrainian people to um, to to move to a, to a better state of the country. Um, that means uh, that we are not still there, and that means that unfortunately we will have to. Uh, to probably, or fortunately, we would have to change some rules and procedures also inside of the parliament. I'm uh, advocating this for a long time already. Maybe at this particular moment, uh, this is something that will be, that will be met with, um, with readiness um, with all the other uh, colleagues in the parliament that uh, our committee would have a say also um, at the very last moment before adoption of any law. Uh, ensuring that we are not violating any of the norms uh, of the directives or regulations of the, of the European, um, European Union. And that also means that there is a need of engagement and wide uh, dialogue with different stakeholders by, while preparing uh, some of the difficult decisions that will have to be made. And uh, obviously uh, restrictions of the martial law and restrictions of the wartime would um, would probably postpone some of the uh, some of the decisions uh, that will be made only when we are winning in this uh, brutal attack and this barbaric war of R- the Russian Federation that it is fighting against us
1: mm. so just following up a point that Natalia made about the relationship that has developed with with Lithuania. Do you have similar relations with um, parliaments in other member states to learn from their experience of how they uh, adopt um, uh, the legislation necessary to implement EU directives or how they ensure effective scrutiny of what the executive is doing in relation to European policy?
0: You know, over these four months, I think the kind of traditional diplomacy or traditional parliamentary diplomacy has also uh, undergone serious transformation uh, here in Ukraine. We are in touch in the constant, um, almost 24-7, touch with a lot of our colleagues in national parliaments, obviously uh, in direct conversation and and very close coordination and cooperation with the European parliament and European parliamentarians. And that that means that uh, I am sure that we have this possibility of engagement um, of different stakeholders and different um, specific professionals uh, from from, uh, national and European Parliament in order to help us. Moreover, there is right now uh, a discussion between the Ukrainian Verkhovna Rada and European Parliament on future steps of uh, their engagement in terms of helping us to um, to improve the procedures um, and uh, the the legislative process within the Ukrainian Parliament, and I hope that uh, you know practicalities will be decided in the nearest future, so that we would have access uh, to their also research expertise, analytical expertise, um, and providing us with specific instruments, um, how we can go about this or other issue. And the same thing is about national parliaments. National parliaments are also ready, both of those countries that have joined um, the EU uh, in the recent decades, but also um, some of the parliaments uh, of the kind of founding member states of the EU have already expressed readiness to to engage and to help us to build the process so that um, we would have more capacity our
1: side uh, Natalia if I if I could turn back to you for a moment even in um, long-established EU member states um, you often find that you know there are vested interests who um, don't like European regulation and uh, you know Europe taking too close an interest in their in their business um, Do you think that, you know, Ukrainian um, business groups, Ukrainian society is prepared for uh, the effort that needs to be made to to implement the acquis communautaire? And, you know, do you see any kind of particularly problematic areas of the economy where vested interests are likely to, um, to make it more difficult for you to implement the acquis?
3: Well, obviously, it's a very, very interesting question. Uh, the, the resistance is not because someone is against uh, European key. Um, uh, the resistance was always because uh, our obligation under the association agreement in uh, for business, they were changing the rules of the game. Yeah let's be honest. And when you have already stable business running and suddenly you have different rules of the game, nobody wants that. So for natural human reasons, people were a bit reluctant to changes in some sectors more than in others. But we have already shown uh, uh, the great value of the association agreement, you know, you, Europe became uh, our trade uh, partner number one during uh, the time of association agreement, and Ukraine uh, was uh, already last year in top twenty of uh, EU trade partners. We were on the last <laughs> last stair, but still we were there, and uh, this is a, a, a very good example how learning by doing uh, our business discovers more opportunities and European business uh, was gaining more trust um, with their partners from from Ukraine and um, um, with this it really pushed a lot of reforms especially in DCFT I think we have done uh, everything we could do. We have uh, done very good programs in the energy sector, I would say amazing progress. Uh, with, uh, now we have um, very good agreement in transport sector, uh, which is coming to liberalize our heavy vehicles transportation. Now it's for the period of uh, of war, but we hope that the trust will be built and we will go further than that. Uh, period and etc etc so i really think that candidate status will will change it all uh, for both sides first of all for our business who will finally see the light that they will have access uh, more sooner than later to european market and uh, on the other hand to to the interests of uh, european business partners who will feel safer uh, from their investments and also uh, from the, the money of you, you know, from the taxpayers' money. This will be kind of guaranteed that uh, money will come together with reforms. Uh, so therefore, I don't really believe that there will be uh, some huge resistance. Just during the war, not all things could be done but the terms of security or for example, logistics, you know, uh, our rails, they have saved so many lives and they're providing humanitarians. We can't change at this exactly moment, even there was an intention like this to adopt new railway law this year, uh, but we can't change the rules of the games when it's the only only way to deliver humanitarian aid uh, and uh, Uh, to move people away from uh, falling bombs and etc. So there will be some probably uh, transition periods for some of the reforms based on the situation where we are. But I think that uh, this uh, vast interest you were mentioning, uh, they will go away with the candidate status much quicker.
1: I, I hope that, that that's right. I mean, Ivana, if I if I can just sort of uh, think about that in a parliamentary context. I mean, I think one of the things that many European parliaments struggle with when it comes to uh, dealing with the EU um, is. I mean, it's something that you alluded to in your remarks when you were talking about the need for for um, a high degree of professionalism in dealing with the. Accession process in in the Rada, um, you know. Obviously, in your committee, you have a lot of people who know a lot about these subjects. Um, but when you look at the the committees that deal with particular industries, you know, do they have um, any degree of EU expertise? Is there a risk that they will become lobbies for their industries rather than? helping to facilitate the process of harmonization with the EU?
0: It differs from industry to industry. We have already seen the uh, European Business Association, uh, American Chamber of Commerce, uh, other uh, business associations that have been formed in uh, Ukraine working um, very deeply on seeing how Uh, They can also provide additional expertise um, in uh, some of the challenging uh, transformations that we have already undergone, and um, this uh, this dialogue has been pretty uh, pretty encouraging. Yes, that there are interests that will be standing in the way of our movement towards the EU. Moreover, I think some of the, some of the problems and some of the challenges because of the destruction, um, because of the ruining um, of the war by Russian Federation on our land will also require uh, some special kind of treatment and so, some special approach. But um, I hope that we will be able uh, through the um, engagement and through open and very clear uh, conversation with our, uh, with our business communities, be able to, to overcome those, um, those problems. Moreover, um, I think it's very important to, to understand that um, we will probably need uh, to think further with the European Commission, with um, different European um, mechanisms that are there in place, how to address this or other um, concern of, the, of, the, of this or other uh, Ukrainian um, sector of um, of economy, because, for example, if we are talking about food security, and uh, if we are talking about specific uh, the hurdles right now with the with the exports of grains and with the inability of Ukraine to to actually export through our ports because of the Russian blockade, because of the Russian military action, um, at this particular moment, that requires additional instruments and additional effort from the um, and very technical things um, uh, on behalf of the European Commission and European Union member states who are bordering uh, Ukraine, and that could be just one example of uh, you know of how some of the uh, of the processes have to be facilitated at this particular moment, and maybe some of them will have to be carried on to the uh, to the future. We will we'll see how it goes. Um, Natalia has been part of the. Um, as she says, it was uh, it, uh, was her dream to liberalize um, our transportation relationship, so to say, with the with the European Union, and uh, this dream is coming true right now because Ukraine is um, signing the agreement um, on liberalization of our um, transport. connections with the european union so i think by this two-way street uh, working inside with the business communities meeting their challenges and uh, uh, meeting their needs uh, but also in um, sometimes explaining hard Uh, hard decisions that will have to be made we will now we will manage to to go through this process but definitely again that needs a lot of professional expertise so I think that that uh, most of the uh, businesses will be mm, additionally investing in building additional expertise also internally in order to be um, to have this professional conversation in the future
1: I'm really encouraged by what you said about the progress that you've already made in adopting the acquis, uh, And um, I, I hope that even if it's a long road to membership, the rest of it is smoother than the start has been. And as far as the UK is concerned, I hope that we'll continue to support Ukraine on the road. We do
0: too. And we are counting on your support and continuous support, specifically leading the effort of military support uh, for Ukraine, leading the effort of sanctions, support and pressure on Russian Federation. Uh, There is still a long way to go, but um, it's our common goal, I think, and common responsibility. So thank you so much also for having us um, today. Uh, Yeah, It's
1: been terrific. Thank you very much. And then a bit later, after the decision in the European Council, I spoke to Katerina Maternova. So, uh, Katerina, first of all, let me congratulate you on the European Council's positive decision on Ukraine's candidacy. Uh, I Thank mean, I know, I, I know that that reflects a lot of hard work by you and, and your team, or maybe I should say both of your teams in, in DG NEAR and in the, the support group. Um, but, but I want to, to look forward now to, to what happens next. Um so you know the decision includes some conditions that Ukraine has to meet before the accession negotiations themselves can can begin. So can can you explain to me you know what happens next how you assess the progress that uh, Ukraine is making and um what the commission and the member states will be doing to to help Ukraine over this this next Uh, hurdle, if I can call it that, uh, on the way to eventual membership?
2: Well, thank you very much for uh, inviting me to this uh, podcast. Indeed, this was uh, an excellent uh, decision. And uh, in fact, uh, my understanding is that in the council, the member states actually congratulated and thanked uh, President von der Leyen for, for the leadership on this and and for the indeed hard work we put into the opinions, I think they were, they were uh, fair and, uh, and both recognizing what the three countries uh, did, but also pointing out the areas that need further uh, further improvement. And uh, so for, for Ukraine and Moldova to get the candidate status was really uh, very, very nice uh, recognition of, uh, of all the hard work that went into it. And also the European perspective on, of Georgia means that they are part of the European family and are part of the enlargement uh, group, although not as uh, not as advanced as, as the other two. Now, uh, what I would like to clarify is that um, these uh, steps and actions they need to take uh they do need to take for the process to move forward but these are not technically uh, yet uh, conditions for opening the negotiations so right. there are these very you know these different uh, steps in the accession uh, uh, process that have been developed and we are we are uh, more than getting the European perspective we have the candidate status but um, these actions uh, Ukraine, Uh, really needs to take for its own sake and for its own uh, modernization and strength of institutions, democratic development, uh, economic progress. And some of them are uh, doable even now, because as we have all seen over the last uh, four months, it's remarkable that faced with the brutal Russian aggression, they actually keep the government going and show remarkable resilience of institutions of society uh, faced with the faced with the aggressor so some of these um, steps can be taken also uh, during the wartime but uh, obviously to fully uh, go through them and be able to implement them uh, you know the arms will have to go silent so yeah. uh, we will we will continue providing uh, both expertise and support and, uh, and consultation, we are going to have uh, soon a meeting with the Deputy Prime Minister for European Integration to go through all the all the actions in detail and give our interpretation to give a little more color than the dry text that you see in the opinion, and uh, and so that will be the uh, process that will be uh, taking place uh, over the next period, and then what the European Council decided as well is that then Ukraine and Moldova will be made part of the regular reporting, uh, regular enlargement reporting, and Georgia for that matter as well, and, uh, and will be reported on in next year's cycle, regular enlargement cycle. So I think this is an important recognition that yes, henceforth, the three countries will be considered as enlargement countries uh, by, by the EU.
1: Right, right. So, uh, I mean, you referred there to the kind of um, assistance and advice that the the EU can provide. I mean, one thing that struck me in what Ivana said was that um, she talked about the need for businesses as well as governmental structures to have um, to have professional knowledge of EU matters. And I I mean, I thought, as she was saying that, that some member states and indeed some ex-member states could uh, could have done with that as well in their private sector. But I mean, is that also something that um, the commission or member states can can help with in in some way to kind of um, to help the Ukrainians to develop the kinds of training and and knowledge um, that that, you know, Ukrainian businesses and others will need in order to be able to operate in the EU environment?
2: Absolutely. And this is something that uh, has been already happening. And I I assume that in the reconstruction phase, we will do a lot more of it. I mean, just to give you a few examples, uh, we have developed this uh, uh, guarantee program, uh, EFSD, European Fund for Sustainable Development, that where a lot of the resources going forward are, are concentrated globally. And uh, this was obviously before the war, but uh, at the beginning of last summer, a year ago, uh, a colleague of mine and I were actually in Kiev and we did uh, three different uh, outreach sessions to the businesses um, in, in Ukraine, uh, local businesses, uh, businesses with foreign investment. We work very closely with the European Business Association, AmCham. Uh, so there is, Uh, There is information on this and interaction, but there also have been uh, a lot of uh, uh, training sessions and and in fact, coaching and counseling to small businesses on the EU requirements, right? For example, before uh, a Ukrainian small company uh, can export into the EU, it needs to comply with with, with some standards. So we have actually uh, a very big... uh, DCFTA, so Deep and Comprehensive Free Trade Area, yep. right? Our free trade agreement uh, financing facility, which is financial support to small businesses combined with coaching and training on what you need to do, what kind of adjustments you, you need to do in your production or in your service in order to be able to tap into the EU market. So, mm-hmm. but this needs to obviously get more, even more systematic and greater in the in the in the situation now that you're that Ukraine is entering the enlargement group of countries,
1: yeah, I mean, I think that's tremendously important and and helpful. I, I mean, obviously, we are all focused on the enormous amounts of, of aid that Ukraine is going to need for reconstruction. Um, but you know, now with this candidate status, um, I guess you know, almost in in parallel with that, uh, you you've also got to to um, to see, you know, Ukraine assisted to um, to get ready for eventual membership, even if that feels like some some long distance away. So I'm, I'm really glad that, uh, you know, the Commission is is, uh, is providing that sort of um, technical help. And, uh, uh, you know, I just hope that the um, the member states are ready to to open their wallets to um, to find the amounts of money that are going to be needed for this assistance.
2: We all hope for that. Yes, Ah, indeed.
1: Great. Well, Katerina, thank you so much. Um, I I know that you have an enormous amount of work to do at the the minute. I mean, let me just say perhaps in in closing, um, I mean, I was very struck back in February when Ursula von der Leyen said Ukraine belongs to our European family. I mean, that's a statement that Ukraine has been seeking for many, many years. And, um, uh, you know, it's been bought in blood in many ways, but it's an important statement. Um, it's a long journey, I suspect, for Ukraine now to get to to sit at the European table with everyone else. Um, but I'm sure it's going to get there in the end. And um, I'm sure that you and My other guests on this podcast, uh, Natalia Forsyuk and Ivana Klimpush-Tzinsadze, will Mm. all uh, earn the gratitude of Ukraine for the role that you play in that. So thank you very much to to you. Uh, Thank you very much to the other guests. And uh, let me say in closing, please subscribe to our podcast, uh, wherever you usually listen to our podcasts, and leave us a review if you can.
0: Thank you for listening to the CER podcast. If you have any feedback for us or want to leave suggestions for a future episode, then you can find us on Twitter at CER underscore EU.